Hey, everybody, and welcome to Network AF. In this episode, we talk with Doug Maduri, a friend of mine who runs internet analysis at Kentic and did that at uh, Oracle, Dyn, and Renesis. He talks about how he got into technology, uh, his early career in the Air Force, both in technology and leadership, how he got into studying the internet. And we talk a lot about building relationships with press, uh, some of the stories that he's covered, what went well, what got, uh, what got more coverage than he thought, what got less, um, and generally tips on building relationships, uh, having a great professional career, and uh, working with the press uh, overall. Hi, everyone, and welcome to Network AF. Today, we're with my friend, Doug Midori. Doug, would you like to give a brief intro? Sure. Uh, my name is Doug Midori. I'm the Director of Internet Analysis at Kentic, and um, I've been doing internet analysis for about 12 years now, uh, starting with a company called Renesis. It was a small group that did a lot of uh, BGP analysis, uh, worked in the internet and telecom uh, industry. Uh, I started off as a guy that would just uh, write reports that nobody wanted to write and they doing data QA that people didn't really want to do. Uh, and uh, I was happy to happy to do it, happy to be involved and uh, kind of got into it. And so then um, uh, the data QA work was actually a window into uh, analysis because they're kind of related, identifying uh, what are the problems in the data. Uh, you have to kind of understand the data and how you might make a conclusion of something that's novel. Um, so uh, I... Worked there, eventually started uh, writing my own blog posts, uh, started to uh, uh, answer media calls on my own. And then eventually I kind of took that over from uh, one of the Renesis founders, Jim Cowie, as he made his way uh, out of the company and started his own next company. Um, and I, yeah, I've tried to make the most of that. So we were acquired by Dyn, the DNS service provider in 2014. And then Dyn was acquired. We, at that point, we were rebranded as Dyn Research. Uh, then a couple of years later, Dyn was acquired by Oracle, and we were rebranded as Oracle Internet Intelligence. And through all that time, uh, yeah, I was writing a lot of blogs, going to conferences, and uh, 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 yeah, doing getting everything I could out of our data uh, uh, to tell stories, uh, either with the media or the industry. So studying the underbelly of the networks and turning it into interesting and relevant content. There's a lot of material there, yeah. Uh, so how did you get into technology, you know, generally? Um, I guess it was in my household uh, growing up. Uh, so my father uh, worked at IBM. We grew up in Poughkeepsie, New York, where it's the headquarters of the mainframe operations of, uh, uh, of IBM. And my dad worked on mainframes. He uh, uh, wrote uh, low-level code uh, for mainframes for 30-some years. And uh, so we always had uh, computers around the house. Um, I wasn't like a, a big hacky coder guy, but there were, it, was just, it was just something that was always there. And we, uh, I remember my older brother and I, we both had PC Juniors when those came out in the 80s. They, was, they were trying to market computers to kids. And we, had, um, we would play games on those. And uh, uh, my older brother was a little more into writing writing code and um, he would copy it out of the magazine. We would get the magazines where the code is in, like an article and you would try to type it out of the magazine. Okay. You've got one. I've got yeah, you... compendiums. Yeah. Typing basic programs in. Yeah. So I'd help him. He was seven years older. So I was just kind of watching him. 
grabbing things for them and stuff. And then we type the whole program in, record it onto, we have, we have, we always have all these 10 minute cassette tapes, which right. is how you <laughs> store it, which is kind of amazing to think about, but we had a little tape recorder plugged into the Texas Instruments uh, computer. He type all this in, record it onto a 10 minute cassette tape. Uh, then we would, that would be our long-term storage. If you want to play that back again, um, uh, uh, technology's come a long way. Um, and then, uh, let's see. Yeah. Later on, um, I decided I'd follow my, my father had a, uh, did a, a degree in double E. So I figured I'd do the same. Uh, I seemed like he, I liked the stuff that he was doing and, uh, went on to, uh, go to uh, do my undergrad at the university of Virginia. Um, uh, in the engineering school there. Cool. Um, and uh, when did you start using computers and technology professionally? Um, I guess my I guess my first job out of college. So I uh, we didn't have a lot of money for school, and I right. guess I never considered taking out a lot of debt. So the other option was um, uh, I applied for and got a, a ROTC scholarship from uh, the Air Force and was lucky enough to get a full ride. At that time, you could get a scholarship that whatever the bill came to, they'd pay if you did the, mm-hmm. got the best one. Uh, they've kind of put it, they've kind of capped that given that uh, university prices have gotten so expensive. But yeah. uh, um, anyway, so it was all expenses paid and then I needed to go in the Air Force after that. So, um, uh, but that, you know, my Air Force time was a was a really good formative experience. So after graduation, then I went to San Antonio, Texas, was my first duty assignment at the Information Warfare Center, and I was in the uh, among the team of guys, uh, uh, gals running the uh, uh, IT infrastructure for the intelligence uh, operation. And uh, I started off as a network engineer, uh, needed to learn Cisco gear, and uh, uh, they were a well-funded organization, so we would go to classes and do start our way through the Cisco certification. And um, uh, I, I still really like the uh, that that whole curriculum, the CCNA, the, the mm-hmm. uh, all the certification. So I went uh, through that and, um, for about a year, and then uh, then nobody wanted to do uh, Unix administration in our group. No, everybody. Like thought it was uh, they didn't understand it they didn't want anything to do with it and I was like Windows, really because like Windows Windows background people yeah and I, and I was like really because I like I prefer to be there and they're like really and, uh, and I was like well, do you want to be in charge of it and I was like yes uh, so uh, that was everybody was happy and so I became the head of uh, uh, Solaris administration for the Information Warfare Center um, and in undergrad we everything was Unix based uh, uh-huh. uh, coding and uh, all the CS stuff so that was very familiar territory. Um, anyway, so it was a very technical, uh, a technical job, a good one as a first mm-hmm. position in the Air Force. And I did a good job there and I got rewarded with a command position, which is completely different um, and was a difficult transition to be in charge of uh, 55 airmen uh, in a tactical unit that uh, has to be able to deploy on a moment's notice um, and just completely different skill set. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, Made it work though. That's cool. So, like me, you like the uh, system and distributed system side of the house and the networking. But what um, made you choose for the dark side of, of networking uh, versus uh, you know staying in or getting into the the more sysadmin? <clears throat> uh, now we say SRE and you know generally distributed system side. Oh. Um. 
I don't, I can't say it was a real plan. Uh, so, uh, after, so after the air force, I went to, uh, did a master's degree at Dartmouth to try to get back into, I spent three years as in, in a more leadership management role. And I kind of decided I, I, I'd like to get back into the technical space, but I'd been out of there for a little while and I thought I'd be good to, uh, brush up and get another credential in that space. So I came back to Dartmouth to try to, um, get, uh, get back into, um, uh, um, computer science and, um, uh, when I f- finished there, I spent a year at a defense contractor and then uh, became the head of security at Dartmouth Hitchcock uh, Medical Center, the uh, hospital mm-hmm. system up here. And uh, yeah, that was um, interesting. And uh, after a couple of years, I was like, all right, I'm ready to do something else. And there was an opportunity came open with, um, uh, I knew one of the founders of, uh, <coughs> of Renesis was a, a social friend of my advisor at Dartmouth. I'd seen him at parties at my advisor's house before he actually was recruiting me uh uh in years prior and i never really mm-hmm. took him seriously which is kind of uh too bad but uh and then um uh yeah and then i um and i i you know wrote him and i was like hey you got, you're still looking for people and so then i met with those guys and i was like this is actually fascinating i never mm-hmm. never knew that such a such a type of work existed um it definitely wasn't on my roadmap uh and then i got in um when i started at renesis in 2009 um I, uh, there's a good line and David Carr is the late uh, media critic f- uh, for the New York Times and he wrote a memoir and he's had a colorful troubled life uh, when he cleaned himself up and got the job at the New York Times he says he had an immigrant's love for the place like he he loved it more than uh, than the people who were there and uh, I feel like I, that that characterized me at Renesis having gone through, done, a, done a bunch of different things like I was like I've been all over and this is way better this is way cooler than anything I've done before um, and uh, yeah the rest is history, I guess. Um, so still kind of doing similar stuff. You didn't think you were going to grow up to be a detective? Yeah, I mean that's that's the that's that's the that's a challenge today in trying to advise kids, right? Like, uh, if I could talk to myself in twenty years, like I would have no idea. There's no way I could have predicted that such a such a job that the internet is such a big industry that you can have uh, special specialties of someone who's actually just. Uh, analyzing uh this thing this uh technology that we're uh all dependent on i guess when i say it that way it makes sense but uh um it's it was hard to yeah i, I never think would de- detective is a much better way of selling it than you know internet janitor okay. or network proctologist which some of my friends think of themselves as detective i need a <laughs> trench coat or something and a yeah, fedora exactly, with the big uh, spyglass and uh uh yeah i mean it's an interesting it's interesting because we get so disconnected from all the layers of things. But a couple of weeks ago, I was down hugging the servers and putting routers in and forming opinions about which which operating systems I liked and hated. And it was refreshing because we live up here and it's nice to remember the joy of, well, you said the immigrants love, uh, the actually putting hands on things and getting into it and seeing things. And I guess... Um, you know, hopefully things will keep changing so it'll stay fresh and exciting. Um, so you didn't set out to study the internet, but that was just, there was already a practice around it. Uh, kind of so. fell into it. Yeah. So what, what does that mean from a, I guess, from a output side? Like, what are you finding? What are you hoping to find? You know, what kinds of things are you, are you trying to surface and, and hoping to find for the kinds of analysis? You know, like what's your beat? Yeah, I guess um, there's one. Uh, so I've got a public-facing thing that uh, maybe people uh, are 
might be more familiar with of uh, since there's the internet shutdown or some sort of development of the internet. Um, and if we've got data, Kendrick's got a lot of great data uh, to comment on these things, then I, that's a that's something I'll uh, keep my ear out for and uh, try to put us in a good position where we can make an informed comment to inform the discourse. But uh, that's not all my time. Uh, that doesn't that's not a full time job. So the rest of the time. Um, uh, here uh, at Kentuck, um, you know, we we developed a lot of. Uh, um, we were in the space of uh, being a vendor to do internet monitoring uh, around you know, BGP and uh, you know we call it Kentuck calls it synthetic measurement. We call it performance monitoring, um, and so we've got a, I've got a lot of history there. And so I'm kind of working with the product managers uh, here mm-hmm. at Kentuck uh, to try to um, uh, share with you know some of our experiences and. Um, uh, what, what worked well uh, in developing our next generation of synthetics uh, products. And then, um, so there's a, there's a product management component to it. Um, and then there's also a, a sales thing of just uh, lead generation. How, how can you uh, provide uh, material that helps uh, the sales force um, uh, convey the value of the, the products uh, based, based on the data that we've got. Um, so there's a, there's a lot of ways that you can use an analysis function um, uh, and then, you know, like, I guess data QA, I, I, I haven't done that much in the, in the form of data QA, but that's a potential area as well. And those, the skills of an analysis function can help in all those different ways of either, uh, media, uh, getting the brand out into the press, mm-hmm. uh, fixing data errors, uh, helping sales or helping product management. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I, I see myself as, uh, trying to balance, uh, those various needs. On the public-facing side, are people <clears throat> interested in sort of the technology underneath the um, you know the impact about you know things being down, the sort of the policy um, you know towards the right side? You know, as you talk to well, I guess the reporters that are the proxy for what people should be interested in. You know, where are you seeing the interest? Um, you know, in terms of what's going on with the internet, the digital infrastructure, you know, the applications that connect us all. Yeah, there's there's a couple of for the public side. There's there's a couple of I guess broad buckets. Uh, one is uh, news that's accessible to the masses. It's like so, country X has gone offline or something like that. That's understandable by uh, most people without having a CCNA or a background mm-hmm. in uh, computer networking. Um, and so, in the, in those on those stories that I'm you know, defining what a CDN is or something uh, to a, a, a reporter. Um, that's uh, that's one bucket of broadly accessible, maybe geopolitical things often fall into that category, things that people can relate to. And then there's another one that's, you know, like the Nanog talks. I'm not giving Nanog talks on a country going offline. Um, we're, we're usually these are gory routing, auto- routing incident autopsies or some right. kind of... Uh, 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 describing you know what what can go wrong and what how would we you know propose to fix things that's more uh, technical and on and those uh, for those blogs like I kind of have in my head a couple different audiences am I writing for a, a broad audience and I'm writing for uh, a, a kind of a, an analog audience and where I don't have to define what a prefix is and I don't need it and I've, and I've kind of at a point where I kind of know if I have to define what a prefix is there's some like like that, that's not the story for you. Like, I, I'm not even going to use that, use uh, some of these uh, this vernacular of the space. So uh, there's kind of two maybe disjoint um, uh, areas. And then um, I guess for the more technical side, um, my 
um, what I've spent a lot of time doing is uh, trying to understand uh, how can we uh, get more insight out of all this uh, BGP data that's going on and uh, that's getting passed around and you know, what can we learn uh, when it goes wrong, what, you know, what caused it, what were the impacts. Um, you know, that is, uh, um, that's something that we, because of who we were, uh, Renesis, uh, having, uh, all the BGP data and, uh, analytical tools that was, uh, that was what we were well suited to answer those questions. So I got to the habit of, um, a lot of practice. And for uh, those that don't know, Nanog is the North American network operator group. It's, uh, the people that, uh, connect things together in, the U.S., although it's an international forum, and there's <coughs> similar, uh, similar globally, and uh, yeah, and I guess when I say uh, a Nanog audience that includes Ripe, I don't want to leave anybody yes. out. Africa, uh, 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 yeah, Afrinac, yeah, yeah, all the, uh, so all the different regions. I use that. Is that in a royal, royal Nanog? Uh, <laughs> well, yeah, it's our it's our background. That's that's where we fell into it. Uh, um, no, you know, it's interesting because. Um, often people come through and are like, it's time for a new protocol, BGP. It's like, well, do we understand really all the activity in the BGP thing before we go design, you know, a new one? Now, obviously with cloud and everything going on um, and, you know, infrastructure as code and other people's infrastructure as code, we can't, you know, there are there is innovation in new protocols, but from an internet underlying perspective, uh, occasionally you get a cloud's Big companies say, oh, we don't run BGP. We have our own protocols. It's like, I assure you, you do run BGP. <laughs> <laughs> to, to the internet, you do run BGP. Um, and uh, uh, yeah, there's a lot of... a lot of Those things are uh, never going away. It's BGP uh-huh. version 4, one instance for the world forever. <laughs> forever. You, well, there was, an, there was an EGP and there might be something else, but we probably should understand it better before we go replace it. So yeah. how do you get from BGP updates to human rights. You know, I've seen you do, uh, you know, a bunch of articles that, you know, as you said, shutdowns or, or you know, partial shutdowns. Uh, you know, how do you go from, I'm watching yeah. BGP updates and making a conclusion about how people are, are behaving and oppressing folks? Uh, yeah, so I guess I got um, started in that space uh, during the Arab Spring. So um, in January, 2011, when mm-hmm. Egypt uh, uh, was having their uh, protests and uh, decided to turn off the the internet, um, uh, let's see. I remember uh, Jim Cowie, our one of our Renaissance founders, sent out a message: "Hey, if anybody's around, I need help uh, on an evening, um, uh, on a, like a Wednesday evening, or yeah, I think it was." Uh, and, um, and so I was. I answered the call, and um, uh, and so then. We started fairly hard. Well, well, we we had a because we sold these tools to the telecom industry. We had a really good picture of every country. Uh, this was just this was our product of understanding, like the from a BGB standpoint, what's the topology of every country? How's that changed second by second? Um, what's normal? What's different? And um, uh, so those, we had all the tools to start digging into this. So uh, as soon as it went offline, then we started like, all right, what went on? And what what was the timing of everything? What what's still up? Uh, uh, what parts are still up, uh, connected? And um, so I was kind of racing, doing as much analysis, handing it over to Jim, who's kind of synthesizing this into blogs and talking to the press. Um, and then, uh, yeah, and then, you know, for that, for the Arab Spring, uh, we had you know, Libya and Bahrain and Syria, like a bunch of countries had their own events that we were um, 
uh, trying to do some coverage on and uh, yeah, uh, some sort of adverse event happening yeah. to the, the internet uh, of those countries. And um, uh, yeah, that, that was a, that was a high water mark as far as like media attention for, uh, for Renesis. And, uh, and it, clearly we were filling a need that, um, uh, that was not out there of people who could analyze this. And so they, like people knew the internet was down, you know, this was getting reported, but, um, at some level, uh, that, you know, there was a desire for a more technical, um, analysis of exactly what was taking place. And so that we kind of, uh, evolved to kind of uh, fill that role of, uh, being, um, you know, we're not, we didn't see our role as uh, carrying, being a flag carrier for human rights. But what we would do is uh, we had all these technical assets. We would inform inform the discourse and make sure we've got the right facts. And then, um, you know, there's a there's an implicit thing of we're kind right. of showing off that we've got this ability. Uh, so that's good for the company. But we can um, our contribution will be uh, just objective technical analysis that make sure everybody gets the story right. Because uh, so then I feel like I've been kind of <clears throat> doing that ever since. Uh, and then you know, by the end of that, I remember uh, we I spotted. Um, Syria, I think in June 2011 was their first shutdown. I, I'd spotted it with uh, it's kind of we started setting up more stuff to to look for these things right. back in 2011. Because right. actually Egypt uh, went offline. We had gotten a tip before it went offline uh, to look for it, but I didn't have anything at the time running that would just alert me when when these things would happen. And then well, that's uh, that's interesting. You got a tip so that could actually have been from someone that saw what was happening and maybe was a little bit more libertarian than where they're um, yeah there was an engineer who reached out and it was like uh, we've we've gotten uh we've gotten an order to stand by to shut the internet off tomorrow so we had a day's notice uh-huh. um, but i don't know sometimes you hear those things and you don't know how much faith to put into it um and so like, okay like we'll see and then uh sure enough it, it did uh, end up going going down and then uh yeah but so then by the end of it we were we had i had automated things that would um right. you know clue me in when this stuff is happening. And, uh, uh, and also by the end of the, uh, uh, yeah, Jim was very, uh, very gracious as a founder to share some of the limelight with me and let me take, uh, start taking, taking calls, writing, writing my own stuff. And, mm-hmm. uh, uh, yeah, I'll always, uh, you know, be grateful uh, for that. Cause he, I would have, I never would have held it against him if he always, uh, kept it for himself. It's his company. Uh, I guess, uh, well, he's a great guy. I met I met him and Andy actually doing internet measurement things in 2000. And then when they were starting and tried to buy it when I was at Akamai uh, and, uh, and didn't. But uh, uh, no, it was fun to see them do that. We actually competed for BGP sessions briefly because <laughs> Kentek, sorry, Akamai at the time, um, uh, you know, we needed BGP for figuring out where we were allowed to send traffic to our ISP partners, but we also did analytics and went and asked people for BGP sessions. So we had about a couple of years of, of, of asking ISPs and figuring out who could give better. And then Renesis started giving people analytics on it, which was not a business that Akamai was in, although I wanted to be. It was not, uh, it was not something that we decided to focus on. Uh, and certainly the network group is not going to go build that product. Uh, so, uh, no, it was, it was fun to see the success there. So did you walk into some pretty mature, uh, relationships with journalists that Jim had had, or, you know, how did you go about, 
<laughs> I did not uh, inherit really. I mean, I, so once once uh, once we kind of got going into 2011, then um, I started to you know write my own stuff because I had been a little bit of an understudy for him. Uh, like so, he would travel around. He liked to go to uh, obscure places mm-hmm. and give presentations. So I uh, he could do his own analysis too. He, I don't want to take anything away from him, but oh, yeah. um, occasionally I'd have stuff and I could help him, uh, or I'd augment. So I was ghostwriting a little bit, um, but uh, um, eventually I had enough. I could start doing this on my own, and then it was helpful to have two people that would write these things and, um, uh, and present at conferences. Um, but the yeah, the media stuff. I think um, yeah, once I started to get into a rhythm of like how you know what are how to look for a story that's uh, uh, newsworthy. Um, I think I started to just develop it on my own. I mean, there may have been a few that I, uh, that I got handed over to me, uh, that were previous, previously talking to Jim. So what uh, was, what was most helpful in, you know, building those relationships? Because a lot of companies go down the path of hiring PR agencies and doing pitches and, you know, but yeah, the, um, the rent. So this is a, you know, rent is like a 30 person company. So this is just, this is a small, uh, um, probably too small to have a, a full-time PR person, but it needed PR. Um, and so this was our, this was our solution to it since we had all this uh, data and tools, I guess. Yeah. The, uh, definitely the writing, I got a lot of, uh, uh good, uh, feedback on how to, how to assemble, uh, a, a story, how to write a, a blog. Um, I think, I think I'm okay at it. Um, and then, uh, and then also with the, um, whether it's the media or, uh, or even, Conference presentations. Um, I know. I remember going to early Nanog, um, giving a giving a talk, being very nervous for it. Mm-hmm. Kind of did a crappy job, but uh, uh, you got to start somewhere. And um, well, Jim and Jim had done a lot of them and did a great job. Jim, you know, gave great. Yeah, credit. right. He did, he was fine. He's tough tough act to follow, but he would um, be like, you know, listen, we've got the data. You know, uh, you're presenting on our data. Uh, they don't have the audience doesn't have your data, um, and uh, as long as you're, you know. Uh, caveat this like this is what we have this is inclusive we're making with our stuff um you're safe you're safe there and, uh, and I, I even you know even when we put out a, a tweet uh, uh regarding something that kentic uh as as per kentic data like we're like i i want to add that ca- caveat both for right. like where it's coming from but also just be like you know we, uh i can't rule out that we aren't uh, subject to biases in our data sources that's that's kind of implicit in that yeah. caveat but um that's that's going to be true for anybody, but um, mm-hmm. anyway. But I guess uh, as far as like uh, you're talking to the media, like uh, you know, the, the lessons are the obviously you have to start up with you got something to say, you got some sort of uh, something good uh, that if you don't have that, then you don't. But 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 that's not the only thing you need. You need to be you know very timely. Uh, you need to kind of say it quick, be responsive. Um, journalists are time is very important uh, to they they need to make a. They're usually if they're Worth their salt, then they can size something up pretty quick uh, and, uh, and work pretty fast. So you need to be able to um, yeah, be responsive and, and be able to assemble a uh, concise uh, uh, summary or statement mm-hmm. about uh, something that took place. And then if you don't know, just say you don't know, and maybe make a referral. Uh, and it, yeah. and it's, it's good for you. It's good for you if you don't know. Like tell them that ASAP. Don't try to lead them on. Or, um, or we're not the best source for this, but as you said, you know. Yeah. 
Like, like I, we, would get, we would get queries about DDoS. And I'm like, let me see if I can get you somebody that, um, that knows that's in that space. Because I know enough to know that I don't know what I'm talking about in that space. So, uh, but I do know the people. Uh, so I make referrals. And, um, then, you know, uh, that's that's good. And they'll keep coming to you if you, uh, knowing that you'd be a, uh, an honest broker uh, if, uh, if, if they had another question. Because sometimes they... You know, they're not going to, they're not, they're not in this space. They're not going to know what are the parameters of what are the things that you're an expert at. And they're just never going to mm-hmm. understand that. So, um, uh, they'll just kind of, uh, trust that you'll, um, uh, once you've established some trust, I'll trust that you'll guide them in the right direction. And I try to, I try to be a good person. Yeah. Well, uh, and thank you for your referrals last year <clears throat> when you were still at Oracle on people looking for traffic, which wasn't a data source that you had and we might have hired you anyway, but you know, we know it <laughs> was certainly uh, appreciated and yeah. <clears throat> um, generally try to do that. Or if it's an investor, I think that's a good lesson, you know, generally for people in building relationships. It's certainly, it's the Silicon Valley style. doesn't mean you have to be there to do it, but um, you know, what is the Silicon Valley style? Silicon How Valley you- style is pay it forward, help people. Okay. Um, and good things will happen. Um, you know, in the nineties, I was just really frustrated with how crappy the documentation about routing and specifically internet routing was. So I did all those tutorials and helped people okay. and still people are like, Oh, I read that tutorial and that was super helpful. <clears throat> and, you know, now there's a whole industry of content marketing that people do, which is doing good, doing good for evil purposes, which I think is probably still okay. But <laughs> it's the same thing if, if um, you know, if I talk to an investor says we like to talk to someone, maybe they're not a good fit for Kentic, but I'll tell them about other startups, try to make a recommendation. And then you know what? Maybe at some point in the future, one of those other startups will find someone that isn't right, the right fit for them, and you know, refer them uh, to us. And you know, Kentic is now seven years old, so some of those things that you do. Early on, eventually, maybe you talk to someone, they're in their first or second job, and all of a sudden they pop up and they're a leader or they're, you know, uh, you know, they're they're a good fit. They've moved. I've had that. I've had that too. I've had, uh, especially at Renaissance, we've had inquiries from somebody who's kind of a fledgling researcher trying to start out and be like, has a question. I'd spent some time with them. And then years later, this is a prominent person and they've really <laughs> made it. And I was like, oh, good, because I'm glad, um, uh, uh, yeah, these. Uh, especially in the internet space, I don't know if it's yeah. unique to our industry, but um, if you if there's a young person who's really into it, yeah, yeah, I remember Nick Feimster when he was starting out, super voracious, trying to understand everything, and you know, um, work with him. I think I was at Akamai at the time, gave him access to resource, and then you know, in three years, he knew more than me. Um, okay, but it's it's a side effect if you teach someone something. There tends to be this this dynamic where they will for always forever think that you are smarter and more accomplished. Even though all you did was know something they didn't yet know, like at okay. one point. But, um, but yeah, a, I think it's. A, I, I think you're an embodiment of this as well. Uh, but just you, you can you can have a lot of success being a, a decent human being in the, in the space. It's not required that you. Uh, it's probably better to, to do that. And then I've got like a bunch of um, people in the space. I feel like uh, there's a few uh, that um, they had less of a less of a name. I tried to help them out, and then. We're, we're still in touch and uh, now they can help me out. Um, but uh, anyway. Yeah, no, well, I certainly would advise that uh, also. There's different people have different styles and 
you know, some people are, are um, less social than others, but um, uh, you know, it certainly works well, and I think helps uh, helps folks in careers if that's something you know that they're looking for. So, be helpful. Um, don't over pitch. Um, you know, guide uh, even if even if it's not your own uh, you know thing. So, you talked a little bit about talking to journalists. Um, you know, any other tips for you know if you get approached? Um, uh, you know, talking to journalists as part of building those relationships. Um, one other thing that we uh, like, that's usually important to have that sense for is uh, a deadline. So, is this something that's going to take a couple of weeks, or is this something that's they're trying to file a story this afternoon? And, uh, mm-hmm. and how you're going to treat that are completely different. Um, different levels of info and uh, comment. Yeah, like everything, everything. Like uh, if it's if it's this afternoon, then this is the conversation, and there'll be no more conversation. The one, what the next few sentences are, what's going in the story, or nothing. Uh, right. So good to know that. And then if it's in a couple of weeks, and you're like, wow, then it's almost like you have infinite time of just to <laughs> fact check and develop, you know, history of something. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a much more uh, uh, a bigger thing, but um, that's uh, sometimes I overlook. I've I've, I've attended uh, over the course of Renaissance and Dine, not so much Oracle, uh, some uh, media relations coaching, uh, and it's been kind of funny because I've I've done yeah. I don't know like literally hundreds and hundreds of these, uh, uh, and uh, and so then you know, we've had a couple where I felt like I probably had more uh, more experience than the person giving the coaching, but I'll, I'll listen. And then, I, and then I'd say like, well, here's all these points you ought to mention. One was like the time, the deadline thing, like everything you said is great. Uh, you know, one of the things that they'll, they'll say, there's, there is no off the record, everything you say, Micah, and that's just true, but you do want to, I think uh, one, one thing, once you've established some trust with people, and they're not going to burn you. Because uh, if they burn you, then that's the end of this relationship and it's mutually beneficial. So they're, they're not out to get you. And that was, uh, that was definitely the, the mindset in Oracle was uh, where journalists are out to try to uh, stump you and make you say something stupid or... Uh, I think that there's, you know, investigative journalism. There's people that, again, it, it helps with context. If, if, if someone's talking to you because someone told them to talk to you, <clears throat> then that's, that's a middle level of maybe, you know, get better watch what you say. But... That's why I'm asking about relationships, because yeah, if you have a relationship, then it's sort of the same with everybody. It doesn't mean you don't have to keep, you know, be aware of where everyone is, but uh, it's another reason why it's important to treat people, you know, respectfully and give, you know, and uh, you can get. Personally, I just I am in awe of how uh, it's like the narrative journalists, you know, what they do with the facts and the explanation and you know, weave a story. So, you know, it's like, how do you give them things that, and contacts that help with that? <clears throat> um, uh, I, I still, I don't understand how, what, what comes out is so great often, uh, you know, especially as you said, for the masses, uh, you know, so that's, that's. Uh, I guess yeah. there's also, also another thing I learned, like we, you know, if you, if you can put it in terms of, this is the, hottest or the wettest uh, uh, in the last decade or ever or the um, the something some sort of superlative to put it in context that's um, that'll um, that's something that they can kind of uh, latch onto then that's um, like for example I remember in uh, November 2019 we were covering uh, the internet shutdown in Iran and we were 
we have been along scooped by uh, uh, NetBlocks, a dedicated outfit uh, uh, to covering this. And um, but uh, one thing I had noticed, they kind of missed that this is like the biggest outage in Iran like ever, uh, um, and that's what the headline should be. And so we put, I put, the, I, put I think I put that on a tweet. I could, I could tweet, but I couldn't blog or talk to the press. Oh. But somehow I was allowed to, that was my loophole. I could, I could tweet, then reporters could see the tweet and they could quote the tweet. Um, and there was a, a couple of headlines like, you know, Oracle says it's the, the um, biggest uh, outage ever. And, and around. I decided I not like, to fire you. Yeah. Not, <laughs> not, not on that day. Um, I did that and, a fair uh, bit of Akamai. The stuff that was like, are they going to fire me? Probably not. You know, so. You, you know, when you when you pitch or you work on these stories uh, with journalists, um, do you have any things you spent a lot of time on and thought were really important that didn't get much reception or, you know, really in the reverse, things that you didn't think were a big deal that wound up, you know, blowing up? Any, you know, what, what's been most surprising? Yeah, definitely the... Uh, the- uh, on the case of one that I didn't expect to be big ended up being the biggest thing I've ever done was um, uh, the North Korean outage in December 14. So to set the stage, uh, this was uh, uh, Sony Pictures was put, putting together this movie, the interview of, of a comedic uh, you know, assassination attempt against the North Korean oh. leader. Uh, I still haven't seen the movie. Um, and uh, I, the North Koreans were upset about this. They hacked Sony, uh, and all this you know, uh, secrets came out of Sony that were uh, there's all these bombshells that came out, and um, it was a big mm-hmm. news story. And then uh, President Obama at the time, you know, made some speech saying, um, "At a time of our choosing, we're going to get back at you know, in so many words, and uh, we're going to we have some sort of response." Um, and uh, um, you know, in that around that time, I had been working with a, a a researcher named Martin Williams, who is the author of North Korea Tech Blog, and he was a reporter at IDG uh, for a long time. And um, he is a probably one of the foremost experts on open source techno tech information about North Korea. And so he and I would always would often trade notes and collaborate on stuff. And so we were we were already kind of having a conversation. Like, is there any kind of Another way to look at, you know, this tiny little internet of North Korea, uh, I had some theories I wanted to run down with him. And uh, while we're having this conversation, then um, I'm starting to get little alerts, those alerts that I set up after Egypt in, in mm-hmm. Arab Spring. So three and a half years or more, almost four years earlier, um, were, were uh, pinging me saying, uh, you know, North Korea is very, you know, the, the routes are unstable. So BGP is a report by exception protocol. If everything's fine, nothing's changing. There's no messages like this, uh, the way it should work. Um, if uh, the routes could stay up, but if you're receiving a lot of messages, it can, it's not always, but it can be an indication there's some sort of problem because otherwise there should be no, uh, um, if you get a flood of messages on a prefix, something's going on. It's having it's having some sort of issue. So we were getting a, uh, uh, alerts that, that the routes were unstable. They were up, but they were unstable in uh, North Korea. And so then we were talking. I was like, I wonder what's going on there. I was like, I don't know. We'll check out check it out in the morning. And then in the morning, I, I come into work and uh, the four routes are down. And um, uh, I sent something over to uh, Martin again. And I was like, hey, like, it looks like North Korea is down. And uh, I was like, I... I made some comment like uh, I wouldn't be surprised if they're under some sort of attack or something. Uh, and um, and then I I sent that off and he said, "You mind if I publish that?" I was like, "Go for it." And um, and so then I uh, uh, I went into a meeting for like two hours uh, and then I came out and uh, Martin had published a story and it was um, huge. It was huge and my phone was 
was just blowing up and like my email inbox was filling up and uh, basically North Korea had been down and, uh, and that was, uh, I think I answered Nicole Perroff from New York times. And I was tried to, in my mind, try to triage based on my, my knowledge of the hierarchy of, uh, of the media landscape. So if it's, if it's TV news, that's uh, like if it's national TV news, that's that's probably number one. You know, NPR is up there pretty high. Top shelf newspa- newspapers, uh, New York Times, Wall Street Journal, and oh, interesting uh, broadcast over print. Well, you think about it, like they they only got seconds to like every second uh, is very oh. costly to put something on the air. This is my this is Doug's Doug's philosophy. I don't know. This is uh, um, but, right. So if so if. I was. I ended up being on like NBC Evening News, and so that's a thirty-minute uh, broadcast. Every second is um, super valuable. Whereas, can a New York Times can always make another story, uh, and there's endless you know internet space right. for the, in the in the print paper. Maybe they they've got some bounds to it, but um, uh, then they're just relying on reputation and stuff. Uh, but once you get to some sort of uh, analog media, it's uh, um, it's hard to, it's hard to break in uh, there and. Um, uh, anyway, so then, yeah, I was just getting just inundated and, uh, that ended up being, uh, essentially the, for that day, for that news cycle, the 24 New York news cycle for the world, that was the biggest story that wow. it seemed like Obama's made this kind of implicit threat against North Korea. And then their internet went down and we were the main technical source uh, that everyone was citing and wanted to ask the same questions. And, you know, that one, from a technical standpoint, we're talking about four slash 24s were withdrawn is essentially this is what took place i mean there was there was nine hours of it kind of flapping uh and then eventually just went offline and um uh that it's not super deep from a technical standpoint of what Mm -hmm. took place so it wasn't super interesting to me but um the timing was right that it It wasn't a huge investigatory challenge and not really 24s is like the average in the days when people had offices <laughs> and yeah. and and lease lines and such, which some still do, that's like a a a, 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 a small law firm's worth of you know address space. Uh, you know, yeah, I guess I mean, like I bet our company, uh, anybody in this audience, the company you work for has definitely has more than this <laughs> an address space. I'm sure, uh, and uh, it's a thousand like a thousand addresses. Anyways, uh-huh. um, it's kind of nutty how how tiny their thing is, but. Um, yeah. So then that night, like I was getting, um, uh, yeah, I ended up being NBC news. They had recorded an interview for the CBS morning the following day. And I was on NPR, all things considered. And, uh, yeah, that was, that was the biggest media thing I ever did. Um, and, uh, um, yeah, it just goes to show that it's just a little bit timing and, uh, you're not in complete control. Uh, and it's hard to know what, what gets legs sometimes. Uh, mm-hmm. and, um, Anything on the other side? That you did um, work on, and yeah, I guess uh, um, let's see. I know that. Uh, so one thing that's been a trend in the internet shutdown space is uh, internet shutdowns for um, uh, um, for, for reasons to combat student cheating. Just kind of a, a huh. little hard, little hard to understand. Uh, I mean, of a of a not of a country of a country or yeah. Yeah, taking oh. the country offline to try to f- combat uh, cheating on exams, um, hmm. and to understand this, you kind of have, do have to understand. And so, uh, I've been involved in both Iraq and Syria. I've done this. Uh, uh, let's see, Syria was doing it this year. Iraq maybe has stopped, but um, uh, uh, th- so what's happening? Like in our, in the case of Iraq, um, 
basically public education goes up to like the sixth grade and then you take an exam. And if you don't score high enough on the the exam, that's the end of your public education. So the stakes are actually super high. The odds are already stacked against you as a kid in in Iraq. It's um, uh, your, your prospects are, you've got a lot of challenges to overcome. And if you, if you're without your, the rest of your high school public, public education, um, it's even harder. So uh, what ends up happening is because the stakes are so high, the parents will resort to anything uh, to try to make sure their kid uh, um, uh, gets a high mark. And there's also just understanding that everyone else is cheating. Um, right. And so your kid, even if he's smart, is not going to make it uh, because everyone else is cheating. Well, then you need to cheat too. So that's it's kind of devolved into that. And so what ends up happening is they... Uh, uh, there's a, a moment where they uh, publish the exams. They uh, the global uh, not the global but the uh, the national backbone goes down uh, while they're physically distributing exams. Uh, what would happen in the past is as soon as this took place, all of a sudden on social media there'd be screenshots of every question, and people would be solving all the questions, and kids would be trying to memorize all the exam all the answers. And by the time they sat for an exam, within a couple of hours they'd have all the uh, maybe they'd have it written <laughs> on their arm. I don't know, but um. Uh, the an- the answers would already be out. The exams compromised. Um, so uh, you know, Iraq started doing this when um, uh, uh, when ISIS had taken over uh, taken over Mosul. This is uh, back in 2015, and they started shutting the internet down for student exams, and they had so many other issues. Anyway, this was one where like. This is a hard story to sell uh, and hard for people to understand. I mean, I did get end up getting some some coverage on that. And then when Syria started doing it uh, the following year, I had an insider inside Syria Telecom who was uh, very useful in trying to help me explain uh, explain to me what was going on. Um, I knew when I was writing the one on Syria, uh, I knew there was going to be no. Um, uh, it'd be hard to do a story. I'm just doing this because I just maybe like, it's it, it just needed to be needed to be maybe, done. Maybe it's your American media relationships, you know, maybe it's just too foreign, you know, because we don't all take the SATs at the same time. Not that I understand the SATs are now vanishing, but, you know, you know, the the concept of the national test, uh, you know, just being, uh, just being foreign. So interesting. So back then also, I guess another example would be uh, of, I mean, I guess I did, we ended up getting a little bit of coverage on that, but one that really just dropped like a stone was um, I thought, uh, the opening of Myanmar from being a, a closed country to uh, um, you know, rejoining the international community and doing all these political reforms in the telecom sector was a really amazing story of how they uh, reformed their uh, uh, and liberalized their telecom market um, and brought in these, uh, had this open auction of the very public process. They had a, a couple of winners that uh, paid top dollar for the rights, uh, 10-year exclusive rights to uh, operate mobile operators there. And, um, and they had this... Um, internet boom from like zero to 60 and uh, uh, just overnight, practically. It's an example that I later used uh, to talk about what could happen in Syria. Obviously, Myanmar has gone a little bit sideways this year, uh, so that's that's too bad. But uh, 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 so that I was, um, I had been in touch with a couple of reporters in Myanmar. We were kind of documenting as these, these things were happening. You know, there'd be a couple of outages people would suspect were government related. I don't know that we've I can't remember if there was uh, one that was a government-directed outage versus just things breaking. Um, but when Telenor came online, uh, you know, we could see that in routing, and that was kind of a little milestone in there. But Myanmar was a, hard, a tough sell uh, uh, as far as like uh, getting any 
coverage. And then after a little while, I was like, all right, well, I'm just doing this because I think this is I'm just doing this. I'm just writing for Doug uh, at this point. Um, I think it's an important story. I'd like to have this, um, you know, documented. And so it's just free to keep to, doing that, you know. Yeah. Because <laughs> then later, and later, then, you know, and, uh, with the, had the coup that began on the uh, 1st of February this year. And then like everything, uh, they had uh, total shutdowns, mobile networks, censorship. They had even had a, a BGP leak a la the Pakistan YouTube uh-huh. thing. They had, they leaked out uh, a Twitter prefix that, that uh, disrupted Twitter in South Asia for a little bit. Um, just all the above, everything we've ever seen all took place within a couple of months in Myanmar and then uh, uh, I had a, a bit of background uh, at that time uh, to having you know known the landscape, and I still had a few uh, contacts um, in the, in the country to help uh, tell you know mm-hmm. whatever I could help inform that story. So um, yeah, that's definitely interesting. Things don't always happen exactly as you predict, but there's no way to find out but to actually do it. I've had experience with. Um, pretty cool experiences with different, as I mentioned, sort of people, narrative journalists, people that are trying to tell a story. Uh, George Gilder, as he was doing his telecosm thing, had a friend and, you know, he actually joined us for dinner and then all these observations and stuff and, and some quotes. Um, as I was trying that's to... That's a skill, that's a skill for sure. BGP, it was actually BGP and, you know, it was at the time that, uh, that uh, people were saying, oh, the internet's going to die. And I said, I was trying to explain like log-based scaling. Like we didn't have a route for every IP address. And he sort of made fun of me for being a nerd, but in a nice way, it was good. And Simpson Garfinkel did this article on, on Haven Co. and Sealand. And it's like, welcome to Sealand, now bugger off. But it was like good. And, uh, and then Charles Fishman for The Atlantic. And it's like, I talked with him. And then at the other end is this like awesomeness that is like, did I say that? Um, have you had any, you know, experiences with, uh, you know, where you gave an interview and you're happy with the result, but it wasn't exactly, no. you know, like what was the best or most surprising interview, you know, you've had? Well, let's see uh, a few little, I'll, I'll mention a couple of little ones and I'll, I'll give you a bigger example, but I know that I had, uh, I did have one, I will mention the publication. I had one thing, I think it was, uh, Syria or some other uh, country, um, they modified my quote to make it more, uh, um, yeah. And, uh, I wrote back and I was like, it was like, it was basically saying something along. I'd never seen anything like this or something like that, but it's not true. I was just, I've, I've seen something like this, uh, but this is just happening today. And, um, uh, and I wrote back and I was like, I was like, I, that's not what I said. I mean, we were, it was an email based, you know, conversation. Oh, wow. so could, like, it wasn't like I, uh, I was like, I um, like, it's right here, and the, and the guy was like, was like, oh, the editor, you know, punched it up a little. I was like, that ah, that makes me sound like I don't know what I'm talking about uh, here. So that um, I've had a couple of, uh, yeah, and I was kind of leery after that with uh, with that particular individual. Um, and then I had another one. There was a there was a style. Uh, there was a there was a publication during the Syrian civil war called Syria Deeply that would. Uh, uh, was just dedicated to the uh, Syrian civil war and with just any fact they kind of, I think yeah, there was like another concept journalism, uh-huh. uh, journalism concept or just try to bring every, every stitch of everything into this one source. Um, and I gave an interview there and I, uh, I had known the, the, the journalist from, uh, she was at a previous publication and this was just surprising when it got printed. It was, um, it was basically just a verbatim, uh, um, 
uh, of our uh, transcript of our conversation was the oh. was the interview. Uh, it was usually kind of cleaning up a little bit, and so it was like everything warts and all, like ums and uhs, uh, just <laughs> like it was. It read like it was literally just the words, like a, they just had a um, put it into a piece of software and just poop this thing out. And I was like, well, I, I would have maybe been a little care, more careful or something yeah. if how I said it. That was surprised. But um, on the positive side, though, I, I um, in twenty, I think twenty fifteen, um, I got asked to uh, uh, join this uh, uh, investigative journalist team from New York Times that was going into um, um, trying to study online gambling at the time, mm-hmm. and uh, uh, that was one where. Uh, we started, uh, they asked for some assistance. They were basically trying to track down these, uh, you know, where were these things getting hosted at the time? The law has been changed, but at the time it was illegal to do sports betting um, inside of the U.S. unless you're in Vegas or like Atlantic City, there's a couple of carve outs, uh, but you couldn't just online place bets. Huh. Having said that, everybody's doing it. So then, uh, and basically <laughs> everybody just move offshore. And, um, but uh, the understanding was that all these things had just moved offshore, just being outside the the uh, borders of the United States, but in fact, it really wasn't. It was still in the U.S. Yeah. Um, uh, using a couple of, uh, um, you know, a variety of things were happening. Um, and so I was basically tracing, you know, out like where are these websites served up from and um, uh, and trying to explain how the internet works. And um, they actually had me down uh, to Manhattan to the New York Times building and had a oh, conference cool. room. Uh, it, was, it was definitely a, a life highlight. Uh, Were there was, like uh, whiteboards and... Yeah, so I, had a, so I had a whiteboard and an afternoon yes. and a, uh, a conference room in the New York Times uh, uh a building and um, had the, the the investigative team, a couple guys from sports journalism, uh, and then a couple folks from uh, Frontline, uh, which was ended up doing a, a documentary on it, which I got to be interviewed in. And, um, anyway, in the end, it was like a, amazing. Like I'm a huge fan of uh, huh? uh, the Frontline, um, and it usually deals with like really really grave uh, important things like that. I think the episode before me was like about infiltrating ISIS, and the next thing was like you know something about. Uh, yeah, they're, they're all like really big, the biggest issues. Uh, and then there's like, yeah, online gambling was uh, was in there too. Um, but that was a highlight. So I'm drawing on the uh, uh, driver's board. Like, how does, how does, how does, why do, why would I know anything here? How do I know, yeah. how does BGP work and how would I know what's going to happen? And how does DNS work and how would I know? Uh, and, and could I be wrong? Like, what, what, what we kind of went through all that? Like, you want to just kind of suss all that stuff out. And, um, uh, after I left, one of the one of the guys on the team was like, you know, the guy in the back was, uh, and I was like, no, I I didn't uh, catch his name, and he's, he's an older guy in the back of the. I was like, no, I don't know. He's like, he's like that's Lowell Bergman, and uh, so you know who that is. And I was like, no, I don't. And he said, well, he's the executive producer of uh, Peter's Frontline, but he also in the movie The Insider. This is oh. this, he. This is uh, the guy who. Uh, uh, produced that story and he's a legend in the, in the business. And I was like, right, we got to sit through the explanation of BGP internet. And for a while. But that was, um, that was pretty neat. Um, uh, anyway, yes. And then it being a, a documentary. Um, and, um, yeah, so that was, it was a bunch of, <clears throat> a bunch of work, uh, similar stuff explaining how does the internet work and how does it relate to the story? Uh, of course, a couple of years later, they re- they modify the law, so the whole issue was kind of yep. changed. But, uh, that was a, that was that was definitely a, a career highlight. Uh, it sounds awesome. Um, so, what are you looking forward to now? Either technology. I mean, besides COVID being over and everyone being healthy, and you know, and the professionally, what are you looking forward to 
learning or doing or working on over the next you know year or so? So I guess I'm I'm spending a, a fair amount of time trying to uh, I I'm fortunate in joining Kentic at the time that it is or uh, the time the stage that it's at where it's got lots of data. I've got some pretty good tools I can use to answer questions that are really unique. Um, and so right from day one, I was in a position where I could start uh, try to. Uh, pick up where I left off because uh, I had been uh, a little bit limited by um, Oracle's uh, conservative uh, policies around um, working with the press. Um, so I didn't know. I even, you know, I was talking to you about maybe uh, joining Kentic last year. I, I feel like I was always trying to be careful what I can promise because I, I don't know, like some of these guys I haven't worked with in a long time and people people leave the industry and they move on to find other sources. I, 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 th- I think I can get this going again, but I don't know. Uh, and sure enough, like, uh, it looks like, uh, it never stopped. Uh, and so, um, I guess I'm right now trying to, uh, build out more capability to uh, alert on more, uh, types of, uh, you know, things that would be interesting both to both for, both for news media and then also for our clients. Uh, sure. you know, like a lot of the, 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 we would call like the analysis gun that we would use, uh, to, to, uh, do stories. That's, that all that capability is also useful for uh, for for customers. So we would I would also be looking out for anybody who has kind of required a white glove treatment. Um, uh, then I was definitely watching anything that would, could have, uh, potentially affect them. Um, and then occasionally why we're collecting all this data and looking at it is right for yeah. And then <laughs> we would get questions like 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 we we think you guys would be in a position to answer this. Would you? Would somebody answer this? And plus, we're paying you a lot of money, so you kind of can't say no. And and that was basically uh, Jim would always take those because like who else was going to do that? And then uh, when I got proficient, then uh, we could share that task. I, I guess I wouldn't say I did it every until, until he moved on. Um, uh, then I could I could help out in those uh, those questions where somebody would ask something and be like. All right, he's got to pay a lot of money. They're going to pay us a little more for this, um, uh, and we want to make sure they feel like they're taken care of. Um, uh, I'll do it. I'll, I'll I'll put together some analysis on this. So uh, there's uh, probably the majority of my work of day to day work never has never seen the light of day because it's more direct for um, uh, our our paying customers. Uh, but that's uh, that's that's the way it works. So I, I I guess I'm I'm trying I I'm always continuing to try to build out um, uh, more ability to um, you know, analyze uh, analyze stuff. I think right now like we've got I, I'm I'm able to get a lot out of all the the NetFlow that we've got, mm-hmm. um, which is a really unique something I've, I've never had before. We always had uh, BGP and Traceroute uh, as data sources, and those are uh, can describe potential paths. But I don't know if uh, we. I do a presentation about a routing leak, and I, in the back of my head, I'd be like, I don't even know if a single packet got impacted by this. Mm-hmm. I just don't know. Uh, but here, I do know, uh, or at least I've got a pretty good sense because uh, if we missed it, then maybe a single well, packet. On an did. aggregate basis, from the people that have opted. For sure, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, uh, let's be uh, clear uh, <laughs> on that. Um, uh, I'm just, uh, but like, if there's a you know a routing uh, leak or something, um, and we can, yeah. I can begin to get a sense for like oh, where you know who who likely was mostly affected, yeah. and I don't need to rely on just how much did different routes get propagated. Then you can just look at uh, you know aggregate flows uh, mm-hmm. to get a sense. So that's cool. Um, and I guess uh, the next phase is, is you know we have a lot of uh, uh, capability now in the synthetic space of running a lot of uh, 
measurements, uh, uh, performance measurements, and I'm trying to um, yeah, build up more uh, uh, capability there to be able to uh, tell stories in that space as well. Uh, and yeah, that's that's what I'm spending a, uh, okay, cool. a bit of my free time doing. So looking back, any advice you'd give young Doug at various points starting out, you know, um, either entering the Air Force or, you know, uh, leaving? Yeah, lesson I learned uh, that I guess I could have learned earlier uh, of, of uh, um, yeah, relationships can be really, uh, really useful. Uh, so uh, the story I tell that um, uh, illustrates this was when, um, you know, after, so I got to um, my second assignment in Aviano, Italy in August uh, 2011, so the, September 11th, which we're coming up on the anniversary tomorrow. Um uh, that was the following month. And then the rest of my time there being in a mobile unit, that's, uh, you know, tasked to be able to deploy at a moment's notice. Life was pretty crazy for the rest of the next, you know, three years. Um, and, uh, uh, at times we had stuff we needed to, uh, get out the door, like send to, uh, Pakistan or something like uh, really quick. And, um, uh, we were so I was socially friendly with the other uh, lieutenants on the base, and and they kind of call this uh, in the space like the lieutenant mafia. So these are all the young officers. Often will go socially, go party together, or do something together. But then this is they also represent uh, kind of the the lowest officer, but the highest. Uh, there's a lot of power that uh, even a, even the most junior officer can have. Um, and, uh, and so it's a great network. These, that level, that layer often knows each other really well. So we had something that needed to go. I had the guys, uh, stuck in the logistics line, trying to get stuff onto a plane. And I knew the Lieutenant who was in charge. And so I called him up and I was like, Brendan, like, uh, we got, yeah, I need your help. Uh, and he's like, he's like, I'm on it. And so then, uh, he went and personally saw to it to get it on the plane. And I was like, oh, it's, it's helpful. Like that was, um, that cost me nothing here. And it's just the fact that, and, and he was, you know, we were doing the right thing, but, uh, but those relationships can be, uh, super useful. Also like with the relationships, uh, there's a lot of people, especially in our space, in our industry, uh, there's a lot of people who are really here cause they really like it. And if you have a question, they will, lo- they would love to answer your <laughs> question. Uh, and, um, and so, uh, that's uh, maybe an untapped resource, uh, cause sometimes you can, you can sit and read something and, uh, and that's sometimes you have to do that. We have to struggle with it a little bit to get, to understand it. Um, but, uh, but you can also ask someone and, um, uh, you'd be surprised sometimes how, how much someone jumps on the chance to answer your question just cause they, uh, are really into it. Maybe they want to show off that they know it or prove to themselves that they know it. But, um, uh, you know, if you, if you ask it from a, uh, position of humility, uh, be like, Hey, I, I don't, I don't get this. Do you, could you explain this to me? Um. Uh, yeah, people are, uh, will, will be very helpful. Um, and, uh, anyway, I think those are things that I kind of picked up along the way, but, mm-hmm. um, uh, yeah, I could have, I guess I could have learned that a little earlier, but don't be shy as long as you're genuinely humble about it. <coughs> uh, yeah. trying to build your, I mean, don't, yeah, don't, don't ask, I guess don't ask, uh, someone to explain, you know, right. you have to, you have to have done a little bit of work on your, work. your end. Yeah. <laughs> like, uh, you got to know what's yeah, I mean, what you're I, I asking too that, much. But. I found that in college. You know, I went to Temple University. It was a commuter school. So um, the professors were all outstanding. But, um, you know, there's a lot of the students that just weren't in the position to stay up till 2 a.m. just playing around with stuff because, you know, they had families and other. And I was very fortunate. And so, uh, you know, I found 
you know, that there was a lot of receptivity to if you are poking at something that's actually the area that they're that they're working in, people get really passionate and excited about talking about it. And especially if you are interested in doing some of the work, uh, you know, uh, professors are always looking for people to help, uh, you know, study and do work. And um, I like, to, I like to think I've been that for someone else. Uh, <laughs> yeah. the, the, if if yeah. somebody gets me on the right moment, like uh, especially if I'm uh, in person, I could go for hours. It's how much time they have, I could I could uh, yeah. you know explain stuff. But, yeah, um, hopefully, hopefully they become someone that can uh, that can help others, and and maybe you back. So definitely, yeah, definitely very cool. Well, thanks, Doug, for being on, and and uh, maybe we'll have you on again to talk about. Uh, uh, evolution over the next few years as, as things are going and that'd be great um, yeah alright thanks a lot Avi <laughs>